Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of MTG Rants. I'm Tanning Grace, and as always, enjoy my Ross and Miriam. Ross, how you doing today, buddy? I am doing quite well. Um, you know, just normal week in Roanoke here. Things going on. Magic announcements all seem to be going well, which is mm-hmm. a change of pace. <laughs> is it weird, or is there just like almost an overwhelming optimistic feel to Magic that we haven't had in a few years? Um, there is, and it is weird. So yeah. yes to both. <laughs> yeah, right? I mean, we'll get it, we'll get into some more of that later. Um, I know I'm I am like I wish I could just take a sleeping pill and wake up to tomorrow. So everybody who's listening to this at home, we're recording this on a Wednesday the sixth at uh, about twelve thirty my time to one thirty Ross's time, and uh, tomorrow is my favorite day of the year. That's baseball's opening day. Also, tomorrow's the round one of the Masters, and Tiger Woods is competing, which is awesome. Uh, I'm gonna definitely tune in. Uh, he apparently is playing really well. For anybody who didn't know, not only has he you know, had some back problems and stuff the last year, he got into a really bad car accident and <clears throat> to deal with like a pretty serious injury and stuff. So he's making his way back. And I grew up watching that guy play. Like I still can very much remember his win in the Masters in like 1997, I think is what it was, when he won by like 17 strokes or 14 strokes or whatever. And it was just laughable, you know, and so, like that. so I'm looking forward to that. But more than anything, it's opening day for me. Um, I just ordered myself a New Jersey. Um, for for the baseball season, I got myself a Ronald Acuna uh, Jr. jersey. It was about time I got one of his. Yeah. But it's also I've never gotten to do this. It's it's a World Series jersey. You know, it's got the patch, you know, the World Series champion patch. And there's a cool crossover that like they didn't really mean to do, but it hits me in a special way. So um, in Flesh and Blood, when you get like the the coolest, rarest version of a card, and you only get this by winning stuff. They do what's called gold foiling. And instead of like, you know, the normal foiling and the card looking all sparkly, all the sparkly, it's just got gold trim around it. So it's like, you know, it's like a piece of treasure or something. You know what I mean? It's like, got, yeah. it's got like whatever. Well, they did that to the, to the jersey. So the Braves jerseys like around the, the emblem and the name and like everything, it's just gold trimmed. So I was just laughing. I was like, yeah, they gave it the flesh and blood treatment. So like they did the <laughs> crossover without realizing it. Um, I am running into a little bit of a thing. So uh, if you've ever run jerseys before, especially baseball jerseys, they run big. Like they're they're bigger, baggier things, and they were out of small, so ordered medium, and uh, I'm like kind of worried about it being too big, but they're just out of small, so like okay, I thought about ordering like a youth one, like an extra large youth, but like I feel like I'm wearing a dress sometimes because like it flares out, you know, because it's made for a much larger person than than yeah. me, and um, then I do have one thing going for me though, one of my friends, Wilson Hunter, the guy that does cardboard live. He's actually driving to Atlanta right now with his family. They're going to opening day. He's a huge Braves fan as well. We talk about this stuff all the time. And I told him, I was like, hey, if they have if they have the jerseys there, just message me. Let me know. Buy one for me. I'll, you know, I'll pay for it in shipping, and then I can cancel my order from the website. You know, and I can just like get myself one. So uh if it if it ends up not working out and I can't fit in the other one, I might still just keep it and maybe frame it along with the jersey that I got from that I got while I was in Indianapolis, someone gave me as a present and just like kind of frame up some jerseys. So just have a few things from the world series. Cause I, I think I told you this, I've been very good. I haven't, cause like I see everything and I want everything. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Understandable. Like, let's, let's be, let's be real tanned. Let's just chill out. You know, I just got, I just got paid for Indianapolis. So a nice little bump just happened to my pay in, in my bank account. So I'm like, let, let's, let's treat ourselves. You know, you're, you're due. You're due, you know, and hey, they might not win again, which let's let's be real. I think they actually have a chance to repeat. I do think that this is the most complete. I actually think they're better than they were last year by a significant margin, actually. 
And I think this is the most complete team I've seen since probably the year 2000 playing in Atlanta. And I think they're very good, and they need to be. The, the teams around them are very good this year as well. So I'm expecting a very good, hard-fought season. Hopefully we stay healthy. That's the thing I want the most. Let's keep the players out there this year. We had a big problem with that last year. It ended up not mattering, apparently. But still, you want to see the players on the field. You know, you want to see the players on the court and stuff. So really looking forward to that. So if you follow me on Twitter, I'm sorry. It's it's coming. Uh, I'm usually a little high-spirited most of the time. When we get closer to playoffs, you'll see the anger come out, especially if they start using four-letter words like bunt. I will be very, very angry <laughs> <laughs> very quickly. It's tough. But, uh, yeah, super excited. Um, I know you're not as excited as I am, but whatever. I don't care. Uh, we've had I some didn't people even talking. know it was happening. Yeah, we had some people talking about it in our Discord and stuff. Like, we got... Um, one guy, let me look up his name real quick because he, he chats in here a ton about this. Um, I think is it, it's not variance, is it? There's one guy in our, in our Discord who's like the biggest Cubs fan of all time. He's like a Cubs stan, you know what I mean? He's just like, we're gonna actually be good this year. And I'm like, buddy, I, I hate to tell you, no, you're not and stuff. But I tried not to, I tried to be like too down on him because, like, here's the thing hope springs eternal. He's a Cubs fan, they've had to deal with a lot, <laughs> you know? So, yeah, you know, they'll be better, but. But anyway, that's that's enough baseball talk for this week. Uh, I know you've you know you've had some people visiting from out of town or out of the country and stuff, hanging out with y'all. Uh, y'all been having some fun. I've been very jealous seeing what y'all been doing on Twitter. I mean, yeah, we just it's, everyone knows at this point that uh, I think Jim Davis put it best that Roanoke is just a retirement community. Yeah, I I, I I assume I'm going to live there eventually along with everybody. We're just gonna yeah. be like we're gonna be like all right, so. Uh, it's like yogurt or Jello at 10 a.m. and then drafts at 11 a.m. Right? <laughs> Except I hate Jello, so just yogurt for me. That's what I said. Yeah, yeah. that's why yeah. I gave us the alternative because you and I both fucking hate Jello. So yeah. So uh, I don't know if you noticed this, but we've added an, another yard game to our rotation. Uh, more than Can Jam. What's the new one? Uh, yeah. So we when we were in Charlotte the other week. Uh, we went to a, you know a bar that had a bunch of games around. Um, it was Pins Mechanical Company, uh, which is a chain, and uh, we played the outdoor you know giant beer pong with uh, trash cans, and everybody had such a good time doing it that Travis and I bought twelve trash cans and dodgeballs. So it, well, I'm sorry, <laughs> I, I must have. We're all playing beer pong, but with the trash cans. Yeah. Okay, we used to do this in Vegas. Yeah, yeah, yeah this is awesome. Yeah, yeah. at Gold Spike. Gold Spike, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so we yeah we bought twelve of them, twelve can, twelve trash cans. <laughs> so For people at home who can't see this, I'm, I think you can hear me shaking my head, <laughs> but it's still good. It was uh, and it's great. So and we have enough space in the backyard that we can have can jam and giant beer pong going at the same time. So uh, yeah, the I had we had everybody over last Saturday and I made the the full taco bar. Yeah, dude, that looks so good. Yeah, it went it went over pretty well. I was pretty happy with how everything came out. Um, so for those who are unaware, I got a, a tortilla press from my brother for Christmas, um, and so and I hadn't used it yet, and so I made corn tortillas from scratch, and uh, uh, Travis made some uh, some steak that he marinated in adobo, um, and then I made a gigantic. Uh, a pot of black beans and we had some roasted sweet potatoes that were you know tossed with a bunch of spices and roasted with onions and peppers um and what was the other filling oh i got some plant-based chorizo so we had four different fillings in the taco bar 
scratch-made tortillas. There was a there's guacamole. There's a mango pico de gallo. Dude, any kind of mango salsa or mango pico de gallo, if you have not tried this at home, look up a recipe. They're all great. Just do it and thank us later. Yeah. Uh, and then a, a roasted uh, tomato salsa that uh, was quite spicy. So that's what that's Did where I put most poblano? of the spice. Uh, there was so there was ground chili de arbol. There was uh, chipotles and adobo. There was oh, yeah. serranos and jalapenos. Oh, you're good. Yeah, that's yeah. like almost too much for me. You know. Yeah, uh, and, and, you know it wasn't overwhelmingly spicy. I, I don't like things was, that go hot, crazy like not that. Like, it was yeah. hot but not spicy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, that, that I like. Where it's like more and, about the uh, flavor. I don't like spicy for the sake of like, oh, I'm yep. just gonna start crying kind of stuff, you know. So then I, uh, I we had two different cheeses. I shredded some smoked cheddar, and then we had um, cotija, which is the crumbly uh, white cheese like queso fresco. That shit's um, good, by the way. Yep, and then uh, fresh diced onions, fresh diced jalapenos, chopped cilantro, extra lime wedges. You know, classic taco accoutrement. And I also pickled some red onions and jalapenos. So we had fresh or pickled that you could put on top. I have a question. Yeah. Where was my invite? <laughs> I mean, if you want if if you want to come in, we'll we'll do a big event just for just for you, Tannen. We also I, so so I I make all the food and then I tell everyone else to bring beer yeah. to to the house. We had ninety six natter days. <laughs> they they were all they were all gone. Yeah, I'm not surprised. All. I would not have a single one, but yeah, 96, and that and Corey also brought some Modellos. There's a couple Modellos left. I will say, uh, I would, uh, I like um, dosakis with a uh, with a lime. I, yeah, I actually like putting lime and salt on it. Believe it or not, same thing with Corona. I actually like putting salt on the like on the the rim. On the, of the rim, beer. yeah, yeah. Uh, I like dosakis amber. I was supposed to say, I've had one of those. It's fine. The funny thing is, I don't really drink beer anymore, and I haven't really been drinking lately. So. Uh, I don't know. It's just a thing. I think I've had one, maybe two drinks total this year, and then I know I had one after after the Braves won the World Series. I uh, popped a bottle of champagne that I've been saving, and had and had a glass or two. So it's funny. The rest of it's still in the fridge. <laughs> I, need to, <laughs> I need to finish. I need to finish that off or whatever. But that sounds utterly amazing. I'm very jealous that I missed it. Uh, in fact, I've got a. I've got my my best friends coming over tomorrow. Uh, my best muggle friend, who's also a big uh, Braves fan, and we're gonna put some food together, hang out. Like, I invited Brian Basoko, you know, because he lives close to me, and he's like, he's like, we'll see, you know, I work Friday morning and stuff, and I was like, yeah, it's just an excuse to hang out and you know eat some food and stuff, and he's like, yeah, yeah. we'll see, <laughs> watch a bunch of baseball. Yeah, he's not really into it, but like, I'm like, hey, come out, come hang out. Uh, yeah. I think there's a, a solid like 10 percent chance he comes, but you know, you never know. I might, I might, you know, dig at him a little bit, and try to get him to come or whatever, but, um. Speaking of delicious beverages, uh, I don't know if anybody's heard, you might have missed last week's episode, but if you didn't, you're going to hear it again. We have a new sponsor, Mox Roasters, a company out of Houston, Texas that makes specialized coffee. Uh, I'm a big fan so far, so I don't drink coffee as, like, I drink coffee, right? But not like coffee drinkers who drink, you know, multiple cups a day. So I'm still on the original one that I opened because I got the the three the three sampler bag and I have the Ugandan one which is God it's good it, it tastes like hot chocolate you and I've been talking about this quite a bit and it's the one it's the one you've tried I think I'm gonna go for the house blend next uh, I'm trying to into it because this one says it's got 
notes of apple, citrus, caramel, dark chocolate, and a nutty aftertaste, and that is like right up my alley. So yeah. I'm I'm going straight to the the house I, blend. I actually got a third party opinion on the on the house blend. If you want to hear it, yes, please. Uh, so this is uh, uh, Anderson Leclerc's girlfriend, Aaron, um, who was over last weekend, um, and tried that one and said, "Let's see, smooth and bright." Nutty and almost a berry-like depth. Uh, definitely coffee for an everyday drinker. Ooh. So it's not too, you know, um, too extreme. Kind of, a, it's a medium blend. So this is a, just a nice, um, you know, if you're just starting to drink a lot of coffee and getting into it, this is definitely sounds like it'd be a very good starting point. Mm-hmm. Um, and but even if you're someone who already likes coffee, you will also enjoy it as well. So you know, if you're in a household where one of you is a you know a big time coffee drinker and one of them is more casual coffee drinker, this is a good balance point between the two. Absolutely. Uh, I think what I'd recommend is getting the three pack sampler for most people, unless you know one of the ones. Like obviously, yeah. go to their website. It's at Mox Roasters. M O X. R-O-A-S-T-E-R-S dot com. You can check out all their things they have on there, all the flavors. There's a three-pack sampler, and that's that's what I like recommend unless you see one you're like, yeah, I want that one. But this one, you get like a little bit of a smaller portion of it. That way you can try it out, and if you like... I, I don't know about you, stuff that I've tried before, when I'm like, all right, I'm going to try this. I'll take like the first sip of it, or the second second sip of it, and then before I'm even done with it, I'm ordering the... I mean, like, give me the full... Give me the full, the, the full serving, please. Yeah. You know, it's like, you know, someone brings you like a, a flight of tastes for beers, you know, and you taste like the second one. You're like, yeah, that one. Give me give me that one. Uh, lots of other cool stuff on their website. You can get a lot of the equipment as well uh, to go along with this. You know, if you need some some drippers, you need a mug, you need a pour over kit, uh, a, a coffee mill. They've got all that stuff for you as well. You can use our discount code on that as well. And that's MTG Rants, uh, all in capital letters. It gives you 10% off. So make sure you check out everything they got to offer there. Um, just for a couple of more points, everybody at home, the people who uh, run this company, they're all magic players as well. You can kind of see a theme in our sponsors. It's companies that make good products that are also magic players, right? It's almost like we have a type for us. <laughs> uh, they're big, big on community as a core value. And they like that magic and coffee can kind of, you know, bring all that stuff together. They're specialty co- coffee roasters. So what you're getting here is, while, you know, if you if you price it out, it's still cheaper than a cup of Starbucks every day. You're getting a high quality cup of coffee. You know, this isn't, you know, one of the ones that you know, you'd get at your work, you know, it's at the workstation, which, hey, maybe you like your your work coffee. You've come and uh, grown accustomed to it, but you, you know you can do better, right? And so um, the average coffee drinker goes through about 12 ounces of beans in two weeks. So keep that in mind. That's average. You know, you might be above average. We don't know. Also... Just so you know, they have a Mark Pool collaboration going on right now. You heard that right, Mark Pool. Uh, so when you uh, when you're ordering uh, some of this stuff, you can get a signed print by Mark Pool that, and you'll see this when you look up their stuff. If you go to their website, there's art like on the bag and stuff. And so they have some signed prints of that from Mark Pool. So make sure you check that that out as well. That's MoxRoasters.com. Ten percent off at checkout with the code MTG Rants, and it is cap sensitive. Make it all caps. Make sure you check that out, y'all. Uh, I think we've talked about coffee enough, even though I could talk about it even more. Um, what did you want to talk about this week? I know there's a ton of stuff that's been going on in the modern and pioneer metagame and some changes that have happened uh, quite a bit. And there was a few decks we definitely wanted to talk about because there was a few surprises this weekend, too, that showed up in some of these. Yeah, I, I don't think anything you know uh, huge has happened over the weekend, but a couple decks poking, poking their head in. Um, I know that Pioneer has been getting a lot more popular on Moto. You see a lot more people in the league room there. 
And looking at the results, the metagame still looks very, you know, diverse. One of the challenges was eight different decks. The other one is like six different decks. Um, and, you know, across the two, you're seeing you know, double digit decks making consistent top eights over the course of, of a given weekend. Uh, good variety in what they're doing. Um, not surprised to see Azorius Control at the top here in the first challenge. I think that's one of the best decks in the metagame. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. You know, getting March of Otherworldly Light was so big for it, uh, as well as the Wandering Emperor. And we've seen now lists, the, the stock lists are playing four. And that, you know, I think they started at like one or two, and they've just slowly creeped up over the last month. Uh, and now playing four, it's just such a good card in the deck, giving it a somewhat aggressive angle while still being a reasonable defensive card. And that is rare to have and really, you know, makes this deck much more multifaceted than it was before. So I want to talk about the Wandering Emperor for just a second. And then I'm, you know, pivoted to talking about this deck a little bit. I think it's a top five Planeswalker of all time. I'm, I'm that high on this card. I think it's that good in what it does. It might not be as ubiquitous as some of the other ones that have been absurd. And like, I'm even gonna sit down and write up the top five. Like, obviously, you have you have Jace, you have Renin Six, you have Liliana, and some other stuff. But this one is gonna have the impact on par as some of those. You know, maybe it might not be as powerful in a vacuum, but I think this card is absurdly powerful in the decks that it's good in because it fits perfectly because the fact it has flash, right? Yeah, I think top five is a stretch, but ten I could see. I could say like probably like top seven for sure. Semantics, right? But. I think this card's insane, and it's one of those ones that when we saw it, you're like, yeah, it looks pretty good, right? And then when you see it play out in paper, especially in Constructed, right? Like, I watched uh, a Legacy event this weekend that NRG was putting on, and I watched this card do absurd stuff in Legacy, you know? And, like, when that happens, yeah, you need to start taking a look at it in every format that it's legal in, right? So if, if you're thinking you're going to possibly play with this card, I recommend going and try to get a set of them now. They've just been going up and up and up in price. They're great. But I really like what you pointed out there, that the March of Otherworldly Light, and I even want to say to a lesser extent, Fateful Absence getting printed in the last year were so big for especially Pioneer, because the blue-white deck, right, it didn't really have any good removal early. Yeah. Right? It had, like, Azorius Charm. like, Azorius Charm and Seal Away. Yeah, and those cards were not good, <laughs> and then you had to, like, hope that you could Wrath them on four, right? You could Supreme Verdict them, and then it would be good enough, and hopefully they didn't, you know, follow up with something too good. Now, on turn four, you can, like, pass with Memory Deluge, March of Early Worldly Light, Counter Spells, Fateful Absence, and the Wandering Emperor, possibly up. You know, also, Omen of the Sea, Shark Typhoon. So, we talked about this, but you're in the squeeze now, yeah. effectively. So, if you're not winning, you're not going to win. They, they just have so many options now that they become impossible to play against. Yeah, and it, it just, it, it gave them the full range, right? That was the biggest problem to pass, is, like, you were narrow, Right, and now they can do anything. They can counter your thing. They can draw extra cards. They can kill something, or they can put a big threat into play. So they cover all the boxes. This is my pick for, like, probably you know the S tier deck or one of the few S tier decks that like, if you're going to be playing uh, Pioneer in some kind of competitive way, you need to play test your deck against this deck, and you need to have a plan for this matchup because yeah. if you go play in a real tournament, you're going to play against it multiple times. This deck is very good. It's the real deal. And uh, I love that they're just playing 34 lands in this list that won. You know, sometimes you see 31, 32, sometimes 29. 34 is the equivalent of, it's like 25 and a half just on raw, um, you know, ratios. 
there are a couple of three copies of Jewelry Disruption that can also be lands here. So you're looking at, you know, about, let's say, a 26 land deck. And that, that's like the minimum I want in control decks these days. I often err towards 27, especially with how many lands in this deck do other things. There's Castle Ardenvale, Castle Vantress, uh, Ejonjo, Ottawara, Field of Ruin, Hall of Storm Giants, and Irrigated Farmland. So And the tri- um, and Triomes, too. Like, mm, you, you yeah, and Triomes. So, too. yeah, six cycling lands, two channel lands, two castles, two creature lands, and two Field of Ruins. Like, there's so much utility in this deck's mana base, uh, which is one of the cool things about Pioneer. Like, you know, it, it's hard to be playing a million colors, so you often stick to and just get to play all of these cool lands in your deck. Uh, and when you're 80 cards, so you're playing Yorian as a companion, you can fit even more. So uh, love getting utility from the mana base. Yet another reason that, you know, this Azorius control deck is really good. Like, you have a good amount of card advantage, but you don't have to play a ton of card advantage spells. You know, three copies of Memory Deluge with Flashback uh, and your you know, your Narsets and your Teferis, which do other things in addition to generate card advantage. Um, and, and you're going to generate a lot of additional advantage just from your mana base. And uh, that that's, you know make sure that you have such a powerful long game uh which you know control decks definitely need yeah and it looks like they have answers to everything as well right like they can cover all the boxes you know you've got an answer to every kind of permanent like even in the past we saw creature lands were the way to beat blue white as early as you know six months ago in this format you know mutavault any of those kind of gave you a bunch of problems but you've got field of ruin now you've got faithful absence you've got a couple ways to just instant speed hey kill that thing for two mana and like I know this might be my pick for best deck in the format right now in the hands of like a very experienced player. It's 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 if it's not the best, then it's like one A or one B. It's 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 one of. It's definitely in the conversation for me. So uh, and that's you know all you can really hope for. Now the deck that it beat in the finals in one of them is a deck that we haven't really seen a lot of. You know maybe you've heard rumblings of this, but I haven't seen a ton of this. And it top aided both of the Pioneer Challenges this weekend. Now. When I start telling you some of the cards in here, you're like, oh yeah, Tannen, everyone plays this deck in Pioneer. It's a blue-red deck with all the blue-red lands. It's got Consider. It's got Fiery Impulse. It's got Ops. It's got Treasure Cruise. It's got Expressive Veneration. You're like, yeah, it's a Phoenix deck, right? No. I mean, it has Thing in the Ice, but there's no Phoenixes here. This is a Days Undoing deck. It's got four Narset, two Jace Vryn's Prodigy, and then here's the big payoff. Two Niv-Mizzet Panrin. That's the one that deals a damage whenever uh, you draw a card. Whenever, you know, another player plays an instant sorcerer, you draw a card as well. So that along with Treasure Cruise or Days Undoing can kill somebody really, really fast. So this is just pretty much an is it control deck that, you know, has pivoted in this format. Um, You were kind of surprised to see this and kind of like... I guess surprise is the right word, but you were kind of like interested when you saw this. What, What makes you want to do this deck instead of like, you know phoenix um well i it's just a, they're very similar decks you know uh this does play out more controlling obviously uh and i think th- there's some interesting advantages here this deck doesn't use its graveyard you know except for the the three copies of treasure cruise um and so very little graveyard action that you know you can you can say jace kind of uses the graveyard but if they play a rest in peace and your jace is just a looter the entire game like that's perfectly fine uh, so, uh, you get that advantage a lot. I imagine there's a lot of games where you just kill them with a quick thing that you transform with one mana spells and your opponent's like, oh, they're playing Phoenix. Uh, and you get some, va- you know, some, uh, equity there. Um, I think in Phoenix mirrors, just not having Phoenix and instead having four main deck Narsets, 
uh, gives you a huge edge there, and Phoenix is still one of the most popular decks in the metagame. So it's sort of an inbred, you know, version of the deck that seems better in mirrors. And you know, the days and doing Narset combo is incredibly powerful. So uh, that's a that's you know a combo that can just win you games out of nowhere. I watched Harlan lose a game to this in Legacy that he was laughably far ahead in. Yep. And, you know, that was one of the few things that could catch his opponent back up. So if it's doing things like that in Legacy, it's going to be really powerful in Pioneer. Uh, so cool deck. Yeah, I have a question about this deck, and I think you're going to know where I'm going with this. Is Flame Bliss Bolt just the best removal spell in Pioneer right now for one mana? Um, I mean... It's got to be up there, right? Like, it deals with Phoenixes, it deals with Voice of Resurgence. You know, there's a lot of early stuff that you want to be able to kill with it. It answers some of the creature lands as well. I mean, this deck's playing a full four, and you can kind of see why. It's it's probably the best red one-mana removal spell. And there's a bunch of them that see play. You know, they're also playing four copies of Fiery Impulse. You see Impulse a lot in other decks. Sometimes you need to kill three toughness creatures. Lightning Axe, uh, you know, you see in Phoenix decks. That's more narrow, just a Phoenix um, you see Wild Slash and Play With Fire in the more aggressive red deck still because they want the option to go upstairs. So, um, you know, there's not one... It, it kind of depends on the deck, but if you're trying to kill creatures with your one-mana removal spell and you don't really care about going upstairs with it, then I would say Flame Bless Bolt, yeah, is the best one. Um, but, you know, Fatal Push and Portable Hole and uh, that, you know, I guess those two really... Um, are also up there. So there's, there's a lot of good choices for one mana removal in Pioneer, which is good. You know, you want that variety. You want to be able... that That's what keeps the metagame churning. Is always, you know... There's always going to be a one mana answer that people play, and then you move to play threats that match up well against it, uh, which might be another reason to, to be moving away from Phoenix, is everybody's got these Flame Blast Bolts, and, you know, Phoenix has been a, a top deck in Pioneer for so long, the metagame has adapted to it. You know, the deck is still really good. It's still winning because it's very powerful, but you're not taking anybody by surprise in any way, uh, and you're just kind of running headfirst into them and trying to overpower people, and eventually that gets kind of tricky. So it's interesting to me to see th- well, this list do well. We have multiple top eights from the sort of, we'll call it like, is it control, I guess. And if you look at the Phoenix decks from this weekend, there were six across the top 32s of both challenges five of those Phoenix decks do not play Thing in the Ice. They're actually low threat. And I have to, you know, if you look at sideboards, everybody's got answers to Thing in the Ice, whether it's Lightning Axe that Phoenix decks have in the main, there's a, you know, Rending Volley, Red Cap, Melee, Fatal Push, Portable Hole. There's so many answers to it. Um, That said, like, you know, I might be a little biased because I've, uh, you know, Todd, uh, my teammate play in the Pioneer seat in Indy was playing Wynota, but anytime his Phoenix opponents didn't have an early thing in the ice, he mauled them. So I'm, I'm wondering if the Phoenix decks have to compensate against the low-to-the-ground aggro decks. I was looking at the sideboards thinking I would see a lot more anger of the gods, um, but you don't. It is awkward with Phoenix, right? But I think you can pretty easily set up, you know, turn three anger and then turn f- and f- turn four is your return Phoenix turn. So I don't think it's going to be that awkward in practice. Um, and I, I think you're, if you're not going to play with Thing in the Ice, you need some other way to deal with hordes of small creatures because, you know, you're going to spend some time casting ops and considers and expressive iterations, and your opponent is going to use that time to get really far ahead on the battlefield, and you need a way to catch up. So uh, I'll, I'm, it'll be interesting to see how these decks evolve in the coming weeks because it does look like they're sort of splitting off. They're bifurcating, 
and you've got these is it control decks that play thing in the ice but not phoenix and the more proactive you know cantrip deck will say uh that plays phoenix but is no longer playing thing in the ice and do they re-emerge back towards what we've been seeing for the last few months or do they continue to evolve separately and we end up having you know two different is it archetypes in pioneer I think we're going to have two different ones. We have to see if uh, this this is it control deck is here to stay or if it's just a flash in the pan. You know, because when people know what you're doing, you know, they know this is a days undoing deck. You're going to lose a little bit of value here, but we'll see. I like the look of the deck. I might I might put it through some paces. I might I might sleeve this one up. Um, In third place of the same challenge, we have an oldie but a goodie with a new spin. You know, spirits is no new deck to pioneer. But mono blue spirits, something that you said has kind of been creeping up a little bit. We have a third place finish from it here. Uh, looking at it, you know, reasons to be mono blue. It's got, you know, 19 snow covered islands for three faceless havens and a fourth and sideboard. It's got a Geistlight Snare in the deck as well as Curious Obsession for cards that you might not see in some of the two and three color versions of this deck. And then it's got, you know, pretty much what you'd expect from the blue spirit stuff, but it's got Ascendant Spirit as a one drop. That's the, the snow spirit that we got and then you know it's got brazen borrow as well but everything else is what you normally get like muslin wanderer rattle chain shackle geist etc etc spectral sailor supreme phantom kind of like what you'd expect from the deck yeah and this deck if if you follow pioneer pretty closely it's popped up uh, over the last few weeks a couple times uh but isn't a big player obviously this is exactly my kind of deck um i am pretty skeptical of it to be honest um but you know, you definitely have some good tools here. I've always been a fan uh, in Pioneer of not of going towards spirits in the mono blue deck as opposed to playing things like um, Storm, uh, Siren Storm Tamer, and you know the Tempest Gin, the things that you used to play in Standard. I think going for the spirit tribal theme gives you a few really good advantages. Supreme Phantom being one of them to really you know. Uh, put pressure on the opponent and close the game out quickly, which is what this deck often struggles with. And also Rattle Chains. This Rattle Chains is such a good card in this deck, uh, letting you play at instant speed with all of your creatures and letting you, you know, giving you another piece of protection later in the game, being able to, you know, both protect your Curious Obsessed creature and develop your battlefield further is a huge tempo swing. It's exactly what a deck like this wants. So Rattle Chains, you know, even better here than it has been in other spirits decks because you have this whole curious obsession angle. The one thing I don't get about these decks is, to me, Lofty Denial is just a significantly better card than Geistlight Snare. Like Geistlight Snare costing three when you don't have any creatures on the battlefield, as opposed to Lofty Denial still being a two mana four spike, um, is a, a pretty big deal. And almost all your creatures fly. The one that doesn't is an Ascendant Spirit. Uh, you know, until you've activated a second time. So early Ascendant Spirit helps turn on Geistlight Snare, but doesn't really turn on Lofty Denial. But if you're casting Lofty Denial on turn two, the four spike mode probably works. And then with Denial, it works with your two Brazen Borrowers, where Geistlight Snare is still going to cost three. And to me, the, the biggest thing is getting that cost reduction. And so the fact that Lofty Denial always costs two is a much bigger deal than Geistlight Snare, you know, um occasionally you know turning on when when denial doesn't i think the situations where you have an ascendant spirit that doesn't fly and you need lofty denial to counter unless they pay four is going to happen a lot less often than times when snare costs three mana and really burn you not to mention times when they have three mana up 
and lofty denial is counter unless you pay four snares when you pay three. You know, you know I, can, I can definitely agree with you, right? Like, I you know, you're kind of selling me on this, and it's it's kind of weird to see the four lofty denial on the sideboard and the four snares main, and just be like, you know, do you ever want eight of these? Because you've also got mystical dispute in your in your sideboard as well, and like spell pierce in your deck. Now, the snare could be down to one mana because it does have a second way to reduce it if you have an enchantment in play, but we've only got four. So it's not like that's going to be a super high thing, but I guess the upside of it is kind of where this this person, you know, kind of where to go with this. But other than that, deck looks interesting. It's definitely my kind of deck with like the, the tempo-ish playing thing, but like I'm not sure if I would like the multicolored version of this deck better. You know, maybe. Hey. I think I'd rather be monocolor. Consistency is so important. Um, you know, Faceless Haven and Ascendant Spirit are nice additions when you uh, stay monocolored that give you more ways to use your mana going along. Like, I think we both remember how often we would activate Spectral Sailor and how big that card was in the standard version of this deck. Uh, uh, and, fond memories of yeah. mono blue shitters. And that, <laughs> now you got Faceless game. Haven and Ascendant Spirit as additional mana sinks. So, uh, and Icon of Ancestry, which is a really cool one to help you out against control decks uh, and other removal-heavy strategies. So, um, I think this deck is cool. It is underpowered in my eyes. Um, but if this is your kind of deck, definitely something uh, you know I would recommend uh, you know checking out. Also, probably one of the cheapest decks in Pioneer. Yeah, I, I know, right? I can't imagine it's very expensive. You know, Shacklegeist and Rattle Chains. Uh, I guess there's two Brazen Bars. Those are those are probably something. Uh, maybe Faceless Savings is expensive. I don't know. But, uh, you know, ho- hopefully it may... I, I really hope that this deck is better than I think it is because I would love to play it. Mm-hmm. But uh, I'm, I'm not holding my breath. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm right there with you. Uh, other than that, I mean, like, the top eights kind of looked... Like you'd really expect, though, you know, one of the top eights didn't have Thoughtseize in it, and the other one, Thoughtseize won the event, and, you know, multiple black-red decks, you know, did well in that one, so it was just kind of like a, what decks made top eight, what decks didn't. We had two different, uh, I mean, in both of them, a, um, what's it called, a Thespian Stage, uh... Yeah, Lotus Field. Lotus Field. I was going to yeah. say, I couldn't find Lotus, Lotus Field. Lotus Field is list. still around. Yeah, Lotus- Niv Mizzet's around. Right. Sacrifice decks are around. Phoenix decks are around. All all the hits, and they're, and they, you know, and they're all pretty reasonable. Rakdos, Midrange, Naya, Wynota. Um, we saw an Ascendancy deck in the top eight for the first time in a while. We'll see if that sticks around. Fable of the Mirror Breaker looks you know, great. It, it, that kind of broke out in Indy a few weeks ago. Uh, now we're seeing it as a staple in these Rakdos decks. We're seeing it in... Uh, Batutinia was playing a, a Jund Sacrifice deck with, with four copies of it, um, which makes a lot of sense to me. You know, you just generate a lot of material with that card uh, for a Sacrifice deck to use, and you can like do things like discard, you know, Cauldron Familiar to it, and then rebuy the Familiar when you make extra food. Um, so yeah, we're, we're seeing a little bit of an impact from uh, from Kamigawa, not the same that we saw, you know, early on with the Grease Fang decks and the. Um, Azorius and Soul decks and things like that. So the the metagame seems very diverse, which is a little surprising given that we're seeing a lot more people jump into the format. Usually when that happens, you start to see the format narrow because there's just so many more eyes on the format and it kind of ruthlessly pairs everything down. And that's kind of what I'm expecting over the coming weeks. But for now, Pioneer looks awesome. There's combo decks, there's aggro decks, there's mid-range decks, there's control decks. They're all viable, you know, 
You can play a, a more tempo style. You can play just you know straight up with your aggressive decks. Uh, you can play things like mono red. Uh, not one that top eight of this past weekend, but still pretty solid. I know Todd's been playing it on a stream. So, you know, even beyond these top eights, there's other decks that I wouldn't be surprised to see, you know, this coming weekend in a, in, in a top eight. There's probably 20 decks that w- just wouldn't phase me at all to win a challenge right now, which is a really impressive feat. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, I think that's kind of pioneer in a nutshell right now like oh just there's a bunch of decks you can play i think they're all good and powerful i do think there's a few that maybe are a tiny bit of cut above the rest it, but for me it's just overall i think blue white is where i would if i was trying to win as much as possible i think i'd be blue whiting this weekend uh yeah i think that's a very strong choice i would not be blue whiting but that's because i'm not a control guy you're not a dirty control player <laughs> yeah filthy filthy controller yeah, exactly. Uh, now, there was something I did want to talk about that got me excited when I was looking at the deck list from this week, and we can kind of move over to modern a little bit. And I want to, so if everybody at home, if you want to go find this, because once we talk about it, you're probably going to be like, what? <laughs> uh, this is from the uh, modern challenge weekend. Both of them had uh, eighth place Tron finishing decks. And you're like, yeah, of course, Tandon wants to talk about Tron. You're going to see why I want to talk about this Tron deck that finished in uh, eighth place. When we were talking about this on the pre-show, I asked Ross, I was like, so, one of the Tron decks this weekend had a four of of a creature main deck. I I told I told Ross I would give him 400 guesses at what the creature was that was a four of main, and I didn't think he could get it. Ross did not make 400 guesses. He asked me to... Oh, I got it on my 370th. You yeah, know, sure. Don't sell me short, Tannen. Sure, sure. Uh, the creature in question was Chancellor of the Annex. The White Chancellor, um, just for everybody at home, just in case you don't randomly play against Manalus Dredge all the time in Legacy, you haven't seen this card in 15 <laughs> or years. Or Reanimator. Yeah. It's uh, four white, white, white for a creature angel. It's a five, six with flying. You may reveal this card from your opening hand. If you do, each opponent casts his or her first spell of the game. Counter that spell unless the controller plays one. And then when it's in play, it also has that same ability. So whenever an opponent casts a spell, counter it unless they pay one. What? You know, when I first saw this, I thought it was a joke, right? And then I started going through this deck. Ross, this deck is an onion. Every time you take a layer away, there's another layer below this. I'm going to go through this deck and kind of, like, talk to you about it. Because, like, I told you I kind of wanted to surprise you with it. Because I stared at it for 10 minutes trying to figure everything out about it. And I just, like, couldn't figure out some things. So, it's got your typical, uh, some of the typical Tron package, right? Four Karn Liberated, four Karn Great Creator, two Ugin. Then you got the four Chancellor of the Annex. Here's where it starts to diverge even more. We've seen Golos make its way into these decks before, but this one's got three Golos in it, right? More on that in a minute. It's got a Kozilek, an Ulabog, and two Platinum Angels. This is one of the ones that, you know, gave me pause. Why is there two main and not one on the sideboard when you have Karn the Great Creator? But hey, it's not my deck. We'll figure it out. You've got the Stirrings. You've got the Scryings. You've got the, you know, the Chromatic Sphere, the Chromatic Star, and the Expedition Map, but... Here's where it gets a little weird, and one of the things that we kind of get into here. It's got two Chromatic Ori. For everybody at home, it's a seven-drop artifact, so already, you know, a good card for Tron, right? Uh, it says, you may spend mana as though it were mana of any color, so this actually helps you cast your Chancellor of the Annex, right? This taps for four colorless mana, so, you know, you could do that right there. I'm sorry, for five. So one cool thing about this is you can turn three a Chromatic Ori into a Golos, Right? 
and then you can Golos into Cascading Cataracts, or Ori helps you activate your Golos, which is really cool. So Ori goes real deep on this. Earth. It has another ability where you can pay five, tap it, and draw a card for each color among permanents you control. That's not happening very much in this deck, <laughs> just so you know. Uh, you could do it, which is weird, but that's not happening very much. Um, it does have some of the cool utility lands. This one only has one basic in it, but you've got a Yavamaya, a Sanctum of Ugin, a Cascading Cataract, a Beseju. So now you can tutor up Naturalize and Blast Zone. So lots of really cool stuff going on here. Now we talked about this as a Karn the Great Creator list as well, Ross, right? So when I was looking at the sideboard, I was going through this. Now it has three Force of Vigor and two Warping Whale. But for like the actual sideboard stuff for Karn, you've got a Trinosphere, you've got a Pithing Needle, right? You've got a Liquid Metal Coating, you've got an Ensnaring Bridge, you've got a Ballista, you've got Jan a... Jan and I just saw it. I'm going to get there. You've got a Sundering Titan, Jan you've got I a Zone. Yeah, hold on. You got saw a it, Dan. There's a Chalice of the Void, and there's this card called... Filigree Sages. Now, when I saw this, I was like, oh, they mistyped in the name, and it's supposed to be Filigree Familiar, right? Because that's been a card that's been in the sideboard. I was wrong when I looked at it. For everybody at home, because I've never seen this card before in my life, uh, it's a three in a blue artifact creature for Delkian Wizard. It's a two three, and it's two in a blue untapped target artifact. Ross, with Chromatic Ori in play, this is infinite mana. And you can use that mana of any color. Yep. So you can play your whole deck of Golos. You can draw your whole deck of Golos. You can go through your entire deck of Karn the Great Creator and go find Walking Ballista. Or you can just cast all the stuff in your hand. You're like, oh, I've got Ulamog and I've got Kozilek in my hand. Fun, fun, fun. You can also put your Platinum Angel into play. So this is another reason why we have Platinum Angel in the deck is you can now draw your entire deck and not lose. And stuff too. So you can just find all of your stuff, right? Uh, Ross... This deck is a work of art. An actual work of art. This is the biggest brain thing I've seen in a while. I'm not saying it's good. I have no idea. I've obviously not played this deck before. I do not own Chancellor of the NX. That's not a card that's ever been on my radar. It's a card that I'm going to play. But this is one of those decks that the more I look at it, you should see Ross right now at home, everybody. The the, the look, the incredulous look on his face of just looking at this masterpiece that is this Tron deck. But just looking at this deck... Whoever built this, bravo. Just bravo. Great work. This is some really, really deep, deep love for Tron and trying to go really hard on some, on some cards here. Yeah, uh, I, I, I like it. I'm a fan. I, I like it, yeah. You know, the uh, one of the issues I've had with Tron over the last several years, really since the first Modern Horizons, so that was 2019, Um was that people could just beat your cards. You know, in 2012, nobody could beat a turn three Karn Liberated, or very rarely, especially if the Tron player was on the play. And, you know, Wormcoil was also really tough to answer, unless you were a Path to Exile deck. Now it's just so much easier to deal with stuff like that. You know, Ulamog is pretty good, but I've seen people win through those, you know, just take counter it, take my two permanents, or you know, take my two permanents and exile it somehow. Um, I've just seen way too many games in which the Tron player is doing their thing and it's not good enough. And you also, you know, you know, you've gotten more consistent. So they're, they're turn three Tron and more often than, than ever. That's not the issue. The issue has been like what they're doing with the Tron just isn't that much more powerful than what other people are doing normally because the format has just gotten so much more powerful overall with 10 years of sets added to it. 
you know, introducing a infinite mana draw your deck combo is definitely a way to use, you know, your Tron advantage to absolutely ice a, ice a game. Um, I'm still not sold on these Chancellor of the Annexes, but playing Chromatic Orrery and having this, you know, huge ramp card and, you know, starting to play some cards that you can cast off of the Orrery. So when you play it on turn three, it's not just a, a lost turn. You're casting Golos along with it and getting, you know, whatever, uh, or you're casting a, a card in the Great Creator along with it and tutoring for your combo. So you've got, you know, this other combo element to the deck that really lets it once again go over the top of the metagame in a way that it hasn't been able to for the last three years. Yeah. Or he also does really well against Blood Moon, too. It's just another redundant kind of piece in your deck that can deal with Blood Moon. Yeah, if you get to cast this on the play and then your opponent Blood Moons you, you're just not even that concerned. Yeah, you can ignore the Blood Moon for the rest of the game. You're like, okay, my lands tap for one, this taps for five, I don't care. Uh, Chromatic Ori, card that I didn't think I'd see in Constructed very much. Definitely a commander card. Uh, we might have spoke too soon. It is a seven mana artifact. Every time I see a colorless card that's seven mana, I always like, I kind of like, you know, perk up a little bit. I'm like, ooh, what's that? Is that <laughs> is that Tronable? Like, can we can we do the thing? <laughs> um, obviously, I was I had rose colored glasses on looking at Modern this weekend and looking at this deck. So. I don't know if anything stood out to you. I was blinded by this and couldn't really look at much else. Uh, from a, a glance, everything looked kind of where I expected it in Modern. We're just still playing a lot of the same decks. Yeah, uh, biggest change for me is we really saw a resurgence in Hammer this past weekend. Uh, a deck that you know nobody was ignoring, but if you look at the numbers, it had really declined in the, over the last month. Um, and this past weekend, it put up a, you know huge numbers. Looked to be the, probably the best performing deck overall. Um, and most of the lists are now Azorius. We're seeing main deck Spell Pierce, which is a huge tilt for someone like me who's trying to resolve indomitable creativity. Uh, and I got got by main deck Spell Pierce in indie when I had no idea anybody ever did that. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so the you know the hammer decks have been you know retooled. They're playing nettle cyst. They're playing sometimes Calder complete. Uh, you know more big spells. I've seen main deck to fairy time raveler in the blue splash lists. Uh, now that they're not you know beholden to Luris like they were before. So hammer really reasserting itself. Shadow appears to have just kind of disappeared entirely, um, which I'm not too surprised by. I was uh, I knew that it was going to get hit harder than Hammer with the loss of Luris, um, but you know really you know struggling to stay in the metagame here, and then a big return of Cascade decks. You know uh, Rhinos won one of the challenges. We saw another copy in the top eight. We saw a bunch of Living End. If you look at the results from the big paper event of the weekend, the NRG three Living End decks in the top eight. So a lot of Cascade going on. Uh, I think that's you know you know. That's a archetype that has been largely ignored recently. We haven't seen a lot of it. And the uh, Chalice of the Voids and the Void Mirrors that you used to see dotted across various sideboards are kind of gone. So they get to pretty freely cast their Shardless Agent or Violent Outburst on turn three and do their thing a lot more often than they have been, uh, you know, two months ago or so. 
Um, so that's just a pretty natural metagame cycle. You know, hate card, it rotate and comes in. Decks that get hated out decline. Hate card comes out, those decks come back in. Uh, and, and the cycle repeats itself. So, um, you know, n- now it's a bit of a guessing game, right? You know, you can pl- you can try to pick up the Cascade deck and play it and hope that not enough, not many people react to uh, to its return. Uh, but you might be running into a buzzsaw at that point as people, you know, start putting more chalices and, and you know, hate cards in their sideboards. I think we're going to see a pretty big uptick in Chalice of the Void. Um, I did watch a decent bit of the energy coverage this weekend because let's be let's be real. I've, I've been hankering for some coverage in my life for for magic events. And uh, one of the highlights for me was um, Jonathan Hobbs made a hell of a run through that event. He's playing pretty much like, you know, what you would call money pile, like the four color, you know, Ragavan, Omnath, all the expensive cards. Yeah. And if I remember right, it was, I think in the semifinals, he had to play against, I think, multiple of the living in opponents. Uh, Some of the games are blurring together, but there's a game where he kept a zero land hand on purpose. I think going to six, if I remember right. Yeah, his hand just had two endurance and I think two green cards. I think it was, it was endurance veil. Yeah, that and then he yeah. ripped a green source immediately and veiled a grief, yeah. which is oh my god. <laughs> it was funny because they were like, "Has anybody ever kept like a no land hand on purpose?" Like I've done it once or twice in Legacy, but I knew the matchup. Like I knew I was against like Belcher. I remember I had a hand with three force of wills and four blue cards once. Like one of which was like a ponder. I was like, I can never mulligan this hand against Belcher, like ever. You know, and I kept it, and then like three turns later, I had like a Delver of Secrets in play, and they just died, you know, because it drew a land, you know, and kind of. Yeah, I, so. uh, I kept a No Lander in the finals of SCG Baltimore with Is It Phoenix Phoenix against Mono Red. It was my six card hand on the draw, and this was under the Vancouver Mulligan rule, so I had a Scry and a draw step to hit a land, and my hand was basically perfect, so I just kept bricked, was dead in thirty seconds. Yeah, you're like, yeah, yeah, I kept this no lane hit. It was awesome. All these things work out. How'd it go? Oh, I died like 30 seconds. <laughs> yeah. I obviously didn't draw land because I suck. Yeah, I remember. But yeah, so really cool stuff there. Um, I'm I'm excited about like, you know, watching coverage and stuff again this weekend. Speaking of that, I'll actually be on coverage a tiny bit this weekend. On coverage, Tannen, what do you mean? There's an SCG open going on this weekend in Dallas. And um, Honor of Doss is doing his backpack coverage that he's been doing. Except this weekend, he finally decided to put like a real amount of money where his mouth is, and that kind of came out wrong. Uh, <laughs> I didn't mean that like as if he hasn't been, but he decided to like he decided really to up his game. It. Yeah, he upped his game, and so um, I, I I'm gonna go ahead and say the names of the people because like you know if someone backs out or can't get there, that's fine. But as far as I know, the let me see if I can find the the tentative schedule here. It, I think if I remember right, it's me and Joe Lissette for the beginning of day one. And then um, other people that are going to be involved. I'm also going to be working with Drake Sasser. Jarvis Yu is going to be there. Reed Duke is going to be there. Uh, CCR is going to be there. Lee McLeod is going to be there. Remember, right? And some of the people that are going to be behind the scenes are also people that you, if you knew them, if there was a way to know who's running the events, you've seen a ton of their work. It's like the people who run a lot of the Channel Fireball events and stuff like that, like the World Championships and stuff like that. So it's going to look really good, too. You know, he's already lined up a sponsor or two as well. So I'm excited to get started there. I do want to, you know, I'm probably going to poke fun at it and make a joke about it that he put me and Joe Lissette up first on day one really early. So we got the two old guys to do the, the early bird part, and then all the young kids get to sleep in. So I'm like, yeah, I see what you're doing here. I'm on, I'm on to your games. 
and I'm first again on day two. And I'm like, yeah, I get it, man. Yeah, like, gonna get it know. done and then take a nap. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, I'm gonna go go get my uh, grand slam and then go to bed. You know, like uh, <laughs> you know all that stuff and stuff. So. Uh, if you're looking for something to watch this weekend, make sure you check that out. Before we move on to our next thing, I want to make sure we talk about our other sponsor. Uh, check out the the OG sponsor of MTG Rants, and that is BearsteerAndMan.com. Make sure you check them out for all of your shaving and stuff you need. In fact, I'm literally going to use one of their products as soon as we're done with this podcast. Ross can see me. I'm a little unkept in the, in the face area. I've got a little too much hair. I need to go uh, shave this off, and I couldn't do it without the help of my trusty shaving brush and my trusty shaving butter that I swear by from their site. So make sure you check them out. Lots of really cool new scents coming up all the time. Lots of really cool stuff to find on the website as well. Ross, wh- how much do they get off again? And what's the code? 15% off if you use the code MTGRANTS2022. Yeah, so make, make sure, sure yeah, you get that one in. Save yourself a few bucks. Yeah, it's at least like free shipping for most people when it comes down to it. So make sure you check that out. Uh, Ross, we've actually been getting a little bit of, let me make sure I say this right, Streets of New Kapana, uh, spoilers. I always want to say uh, something else there. And we've gotten a couple of the, the, the cycles in this set. We've got a, a few of like the heads of the houses. You know, we get, we get a legendary creature from them. They're all demons. Um, we've gotten all the charms, all of the trilands or, you know, triomes, but they're not called triomes this time. And then we've gotten one Ascendancy that came out. So it looks like we're getting another uh, thing of Ascendancies that are going to come out here. I uh, Any of these really sticking out to you just yet? Because like, these all are very wordy. Yeah, unsurprisingly, as recent sets have been. Um, I think the Esper Demon looks really cool. That's Rafine Scheming Seer. White, blue, black for a 1-4 Sphinx Demon with flying and ward 1. And says, whenever you attack, target attacking creature connives X, where X is the number of attacking creatures. And connive is one of the new keywords in the set. And the reminder text is, draw X cards, then discard X cards. Put a plus 1, plus 1 counter on that creature for each non-land card discarded this way. That is so wordy. Yeah. So... What notably, this is whenever whenever you attack. So it's kind of like Adeline. You can play Rafina turn three, attack with your earlier creatures, and get an immediate trigger and get some value, which is really important. And you've got reasonable stats. You know, obviously this is a little bit more defensive at one four, but when it's a creature that generates value every single turn, I like having more toughness, so it's harder to answer. Ward one also making it more difficult to answer. Um, so. I, you know that plays well here with it with the cascading advantage nature of the card's triggered ability, and connive just seems really powerful here. You know, if you attack with I'm one, I'm worried about that ability. By the way, yeah, I'm actually you know, worried about it. You can play a triome on turn one, play a creature on turn two, turn three, play R- Rafine, attack with that one creature. Now you're drawing and discarding and getting a counter on the attacker if you discard a non-land card. Um, you know, if you're if you have any way to do, you know, use cards in the graveyard, you can exactly. start generating real value off of this. You can just discard a land and say, you know, I don't need the counter. I'm just getting a free loot here, and that's perfectly fine. I'm I'm fixing my draws, making sure that I'm going to curve out smoothly here. And then as the game goes on, suddenly you're like drawing three, discarding three, potentially putting two or three counters on one of your attacking creatures. 
and that's really messing up combat for your opponent. So a lot going on here in terms of you know reasonable stats, difficult to answer, generates good a good amount of advantage, can generate an almost immediate advantage uh, given that you don't have to attack with it. Um, and, you know, fixes your draws, makes combat easy. There's just so much going on here. So for three mana, I'm a pretty big fan. The one thing that gives me pause is Esper, not really a color combination that's known for attacking, but yeah. maybe that changes in this set. You know, we don't know exactly how these color combinations are going to be, uh, you know, designed in the set. It, it def- definitely looks to me, based on the two Naya cards that we have, that... Uh, that color combination is going to have a heavy token theme. Um, yeah, not surprising there. Yeah, um, so, uh, but you know, maybe maybe Esper is more of a you know mid range attacking you know color combination than we have seen in the past. Uh, I'm going to go out and say this. The reason I was saying that I'm a little worried about uh, Connive is there's going to be a one drop or two drop that has Connive on it that's going to be like you know pushed for constructed play, and I, I'm worried that it's going to make some deck in like modern. Or pioneer, or hopefully it makes a deck playable that wasn't playable before, but it makes some reanimator or like can you imagine if like there was a decent red uh creature that did this for like Phoenix decks? You're just like you're just like attack with it, discard my Phoenix, grow my attacker, or like the um the what do you call it decks? Uh what was the red black deck for a while in modern? Um where you would discard all your all your, your hand. Hollow one? Yeah, the hollow one decks. Like if Connive is good enough and you have like an aggressive creature or two printed with this. That deck might be back. Oh, I didn't think about Hollow One. That's that's sweet. Yeah, I'm like, I'm in. You know, or like, there's some madness cards too, and like they're gonna trigger the plus and plus one thing, and you're like, trigger the plus and plus one, fiery temper your blocker. Like, there's there's some stuff yeah. you can do here. If, like yeah. one or two creatures. D- discard my blood gas, get some counters, return my blood yeah. gas after combat. Yeah. Uh, you know, now I've got multiple attackers. Yeah. No, they're the. Yeah, you're right. It'll be really interesting to see if we get a you know cheap connive creatures, and if connive is you know esper centric, are we going to get a cheap black creature specifically for a hollow one deck? Uh, though I'm sure you can make the mana if the if the card is good enough, you can make the mana work in modern. Yep. Uh, I'm gonna go ahead and read up the other legendary creatures because you know I definitely think we have like some commander players here, and they're just super powerful. We have the Grixis one as well. It's Lord Xander the Collector. It's four blue, black, red. So four and Grixis for a six six. Vampire Demon Noble. Uh, when he enters the battlefield, target opponent discards half the cards in their hand, rounded down. When it attacks, defending player mills half their library, rounded down. And then when it dies, target opponent sacrifices half their non-land permanents they control, rounded down. So, um, seven mana for six six with like no way to protect itself. I can't see myself doing this unless I'm cheating this in some way. And even then, I think there's better options. Like, if you're reanimating this, you're mainly doing it for that enters the battlefield ability, at which point I'd rather play, like, Sire of Insanity and just take their whole hand, um, or, like, Jin Gataxius or whatever. So, yeah, this is the card I'm least excited about of of all the cards previewed thus far. Maybe it's a commander thing, I don't really know. Uh, It doesn't even seem that powerful to me in commander, to be honest. At seven mana, like, people are doing really busted shit in that format. Yeah, exactly. All right, and then you were talking about the Naya one. Here's it is. Uh, I think it's Jetmer. It's sure. That Nexus of Revels. It's one in one in Naya, so it's a four drop. One red, green, white for a five four cat demon. Yep, you heard that right. It's a cat demon for all of y'all at home that like that kind of stuff. Uh, creatures you control have plus one plus zero and have vigilance as long as you control three or more creatures. Creatures you control have plus one plus zero 
and have tramples on control six or more creatures, and then it does it again, plus one plus zero, double strike as long as you control nine or more creatures. This screams commander card to me, though like I I think there's a world in which there's like some form of zoo deck and standard, maybe that this is like your big four drop finish. But this to me screams a card that is going to kill people in commander. Yeah, and you know, if you're playing this card in competitive constructed formats then you can basically disregard the last paragraph of text um but the first and you're mainly going off the first one the, the three creature you know plus one plus one vigilance occasionally you'll get up to that six creatures and like when you're breaking a, a board stall uh and then you know the second pump and trample is going to be really important so that's not going to be completely you know uh irrelevant but i, I agree with you. this seems like a, a great commander card i'm sure there's you know plenty of people who you know would love to play this in just generic token decks or even in a naya you know cat tribal deck you can make it work probably uh you know with like pride sovereign and things like that so um definitely a, a commander card here uh and a really cool one um and but in, in competitive constructed the thing that gives me hope for it is that it's still just a four mana five four so it has reasonable stats as a creature mm-hmm. at the top end of your curve uh in, a, in an aggressive shell but three color aggro deck in like standard or pioneer is a, a tough sell. Yeah, exactly. Uh, let's go ahead and read the only ascendancy that's been spoiled. Um, I have high hopes for this one. This looks like they might be a little bit better this time around because the, the first time around, overall, I think they kind of missed the mark a little bit. You know, I yeah. thought they'd be a little more impactful than they were. This is the Bant one. So it's just green, white, blue. At the beginning of your instep, put a plus and plus one counter on each creature you control and a loyalty counter in each planeswalker you control. This is definitely the right color combination for this. You know, Noble Hierarch into stuff into this or, you know, any kind of creature that generates extra value of like, you know, multiple bodies. This card's pretty sweet. Uh, if you're playing a typical standard deck of these colors, it's usually a bunch of creatures and planeswalkers anyway. I'm not the biggest fan of cards like this. They seem win more to me. But I, this one seems solid, so I'm, I'm definitely, a, I'm definitely a believer in in this one so far. I'm a fan. Of, I, I think that ends up being a pretty powerful effect for aggressive decks, uh, especially if you can curve into it. If you go one drop, two drop this on turn three, which admittedly is kind of tough given that it's three different colors of mana. But if you can make that work, then you've got something that's pretty exciting because you're getting two plus and plus one counters and then you're effectively pumping all of your creatures for the remainder of the game and even the extra loyalty counters you know you could end up you know ramping up towards an ultimate more quickly or making it much more difficult for your opponents to attack your planeswalkers uh kind of a pretty cool uh card to curve with this is the four mana elspeth so this on turn three, Elspeth on four, make two one ones, get a loyalty on my Elspeth, get two get counters on each of the one ones. So I've made two two twos, and my Elspeth's harder to answer. So uh, I could definitely see something going on with those two. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm intrigued. A little weird to me for this card to be in Bant when Naya looks so token heavy. That's the one thing that that looks weird, and so I can't imagine the Bant being, uh, you know, the the band guild or whatever or house having a bunch of token makers because that'll you know have too much overlap so that kind of makes it look a little strange to me i think it might fall flat just because it doesn't have the right home uh but maybe it's powerful enough to see play in pioneer you know really cool card with uh you know hardened scales and and oh yeah uh true. conclave mentor man maybe That's very true, maybe we can make a bant version of that deck and start going nuts 
and we'll have a judge call every turn on how many things actually happen. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to go ahead and go through the charms, and just everybody at home, um, I'm going to say what faction it is, and it's just one of every color of that mana. So if it's the Esper charm, uh, I'm going to say it. it's just white, blue, black, because uh, I'm not going to try to name. I don't know how to pronounce these names yet, so I'm not going to do it. So the, the white, blue, black one, they're all instants, by the way. Choose one. Return target multicolored permanent card with mana value three or less from your graveyard to the battlefield tapped. Counter target instant or sorcery spell or destroy target creature or planeswalker of mana value three or less. I like this card a lot because it checks a lot of the boxes. If you were to play this card in like say Pioneer or Modern, maybe in Standard, we'll see. Um, it can counterspell something. It can kill a cheap thing. Or the big one that everybody's been talking about is this just gets back to fairy like three mana Teferi, which is kind of nuts at instant speed. Uh, yeah, ag agreed. I think with Teferi, it looks really cool. Um, though, are you playing this card in modern? You know, the I other mean, modes are really inefficient for modern. I True. don't think you can play too many of them. It doesn't have like the built-in... Yeah, I kind of like the ones that I want to play a lot of to have some form of card advantage is one of the options so you can just fire it off if you've got no target yeah kind completely of thing. agree uh i think that's a that was a big reason why abzan charm was the best yeah. of the cycle back yeah. in um in um yeah I remember, what was that yeah. set uh cons of tarkir cons yeah yeah i think you know i think that that really put absent separated abzan charm so no no mode like that here unless you're consistently <laughs> using that first one to return something which i in control decks doesn't happen that often uh, outside of Teferi, so I, I do think this card has potential, but it, you have to be taking advantage of that first mode uh, pretty consistently, otherwise it's just not a card that you can play too many copies of, because a split card of those second two modes, you know, a, a weak counter spell and a weak removal spell, it's nice to have both of them, you know, Drown on the Lock is a very good card, but at three mana, it becomes really difficult to play a lot of copies of it. Yeah, when I think of this, I start thinking of the Esper decks that have popped up from time to time that were good for like a weekend or whatever, that were like Monastery Mentor, Unearth type decks. You could maybe build something like that, because that card is legal in Pioneer as well. And you have, you know, Obscura Charm along with this, and you can maybe do some stuff. You know, someone who's better at deck building, take yeah. that and can go. And a turn, well, Mentor doesn't, doesn't return with it, unfortunately. You can return... Um, Oh, because it's it's multicolored. I'm, yeah, it's yeah, multicolored. Yeah, I forgot it's multicolored. You can now. return uh, like Thopter Foundry. That's kind of oh, a cool one to get like back. We'll see. But yeah, okay. Anyway, we're gonna move over to the Grixis one before I put my foot in my mouth even more. So blue, red, green. I'm sorry, blue, red, black. Good lord. All right, look at the top five cards of your library. Put one of those cards into your hand, and the rest in your graveyard. It's kind of powerful. Putting them in your graveyard kind of important. Yeah. Uh, each opponent loses three life, and you gain three life. Ugh. And then uh, this deals five damage to our creature or planeswalker. Okay, this one I can definitely see being played in some of the less powerful formats, right? It, it has something you can do that you can just fire off, right? But also putting all those cards in the graveyard, you can obviously use that to your advantage. The second mode, not really something you're going to be firing off unless you like absolutely have to. And then this last one, hey, it's kind of a removal spell tacked on, so you know it's got it's got a couple uses. Yeah, obviously the second mode is the weakest of the three by far. It'll come up sometimes, you know, you'll cast two of them to kill your opponent from five or, you know, kill your opponent from three with one of them uh, in some number of games. But the vast majority of the time, you're going to be casting one of the first or third modes. But and, and that means, you know, the how good that first mode is really dictates how good the card is. So you're really going to want to take advantage of putting the cards in your graveyard. You know, maybe we see a return of Unearth. 
which would be great. You know, you just put some unearthed creatures in the graveyard or, um, you know, you could put, you know, Arclight Phoenixes in the graveyard. I don't know. Um, you know, but figure out some way to, you know, reliably generate more than just the impulse off of that first mode. And you've got a solid card on your hands. All right. Up next is the Jund one for all the Jund players at home. This one is black, red, green. Target opponent sacrifices a creature or planeswalker they control with the highest mana value among creatures and planeswalkers they control. I like I like that new shift to that on a few of these that they've been printing lately, where it's the highest value. So like you're guaranteed to get something good instead of a token yeah. or whatever. Uh, XL the top three cards of your library until your next instep. You may play those cards. So some card advantage, right? The typical red card advantage. And the last one is XL target player's graveyard. I'm not so sure about this one, Ross. Oh, really? I think this is the best one. You think so? Yeah. Okay. I think, you know, because it's an instant, so that second mode, you're not just casting it on your turn and, uh, you know, using whatever mana you have left. You go end step, cast it, exile the top three, untap, play one of my lands off of that, and then play a spell or two, hopefully. So I think it's going to be pretty easy to get two cards off of it. You'll get a land and a spell. And the times where you get three cards off of it, you know, land and two spells, or God forbid, able to cast three spells if your curve is really low, um, it is are, are going to be great. You know, I, the removal the spell think, is pretty good. And then exile target player's graveyard, like, that's going to come up. You know, people just use the graveyard. The more I think about it, it's just like Jun Charm that's also expressive iteration when you just cast it at the end of their turn. So, like, yeah, maybe I am, I am in, yeah, in, in it, for this one. It, a little if bit it more. were a sorcery, it would be much, much worse. Like, yeah. it would be almost unplayable. Um, but as an instant, it cha- just changes the complexion of how that second mode plays out entirely. Um, and, uh, you know, this to me compares pretty favorably to Absent Charm. You know, if you remember Absent Charm, it was Exile Target Creature with power three or greater. So you're getting a big thing. In this case, you know, Riveteer's Charm can get, you know, big creatures, but can also hit Planeswalkers against control decks if you need to do that. And then you, you know, it was draw two cards, lose two life. I think Riveteer's Charm is going to draw two cards pretty frequently, sometimes more. You know, sometimes less too, but uh, you know, two is probably a reasonable approximation for how many cards it draws on average, and you don't even lose the two life, so even better. And then compare the third modes. I'd much rather have Exile Target Player's Graveyard than put a couple, put two possible encounters on a creature. I think you know, especially in more reactive decks. So I think this is the absent charm of the bunch. I th- I think it's great in that it's just a question of whether there are good jund cards to put around it. Now, the Naya one. Do you know how to pronounce this? The the Naya faction house? I would guess Cabaretti. It sounds like pasta to me, honestly. It just sounds like some form of pasta. But anyway. It sounds like uh, dancing pasta. It's like cabaret pasta. Sure. Uh, <laughs> so, this charm deals damage equal to the number of creatures you control to target creature or planeswalker. Creatures you control get pulse plus one and trample until a turn or create two green and white citizen creature tokens. So, yeah. Uh, token theme. You know, a little mini overrun. Maybe a way to kill someone from a board, a stalled board state, or kill a planeswalker from a stalled board state, or hey, you got to get something going. Let's make some bodies, and then yeah. the next one gets better. I'm um, uh, so th- this card to me seems quite good. Obviously, only in a specific kind of deck. You know, it's so whether or not the token deck is good is a major factor in how much play Cabaretti Charm is going to see. This is not a card you just throw into any deck. Um, but in the types of decks it's good in, it is a very good because those kind of decks 
One, they usually can't play that much interaction because they've got to play a bunch of token makers and ways to you know generate advantage off of having a bunch of tokens. So having uh, a removal spell tacked on to something that can also help you proactively is really nice. Uh, just lets you shoehorn extra interaction into your deck. You know the overrun kind of effects are you know important for when things are going really well but if it's just a card that does only that then they end up languishing in your hand when you haven't been able to generate enough bodies uh, so this is a card that really increases your consistency and resiliency because it ensures that your draw is smooth even if your opponent interacts with you or if your opponent doesn't so you're able to just kind of pick and choose with uh, you know what you need at the time based on how the rest of your draw is gone so if you end up short on removal it's removal if you're short on payoffs it's a payoff if you're short on bodies it's a body uh, you know you're gonna make sure that your draw always comes together. Because, you know, token decks often have a lot of those disparate pieces. It's, you know, token makers, payoffs for having tokens, and a little bit of interaction. And you've got to draw them in the right ratios. Cabaret Charm being modal with all three of those effects ensures that you are going to consistently be able to have the right ratios because you're able to have a lot of control over, you know, what this card does. Yeah. All right. And for the last one, we've got the Bant Charm. So this one's green, white, blue. Uh, target creature you control gets plus one plus zero until end of turn. It deals damage equal to its power to target creature or planeswalker to opponent controls. Okay, so a removal spell. It's just claw. It's not fight. Uh, destroy target enchantment. Pretty narrow, but when when good, very good. And then draw two cards. So this one needs a creature in play for it to have like you know multiple modes, pretty much, or a, a enchantment to be targeted. But with the floor being draw two cards, depending on the deck, this one could be pretty good too. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of liking these so far. I mean, if you remember from Shards of Alara, Esper Charm was the best one of those three, right? And this is has two of the same three modes as Esper Charm, including the most important one, draw two cards. Very awkward to have that, you know, creature-centric removal tacked on to two sort of controlling effects in Demystify and Divination. So I have a feeling that this is a card that's going to be put into control decks as an instant speed divination, and you're not going to use that first mode very often. Um, you know, could be really cool with like Shark Typhoon in a control deck. You know, that that's the kind of creature that control decks want to play, and so that you can get some value out of Broker's Charm in the first mode from those shark tokens. But for the most part, this to me seems like a split card divination demystify, which is probably worse than it was in 2009, uh, but potentially still playable. But the and but the awkward thing is I'm seeing the Bant Ascendancy be very creature centric and the Bant Charm be kind of controlling and just a little bit creature centric. I'm not really sure what Bant is doing in this set right now. <laughs> it seems yeah. kind of all over the place, you know, just from two cards. Um, so you know, obviously too early to make any really firm conclusions, but it seems very clear what Naya is doing. Um, it seems like Grixis is going to be using the graveyard in some way from the Maestro's Charm putting cards in the graveyard. You know, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see a return of Unearth. Um, and then, you know, Jund and Esper, Esper seems like maybe we're trying to be more creature-centric than other Espers in the past. And Jund is just doing Jund things, like getting good value uh, just from that, the, the one charm. But the, the Bant side of things looks... Um, very muddled to me. So I'm a little bit worried about Bant for this set just in the early going. Um, but you know, we'll see in the in the coming weeks because we're going to start preview season. I think it starts tomorrow, doesn't it? 
Yeah, I think it's like the next couple days. So I think for like our next episode, we'd be looking for us to look at probably 30 to 40 cards yeah. along the line. So one of those kind of episodes, it feels it feels good to get back into that. I'm, you know, I'm looking at these with brand new eyes, right? You know, we mentioned this at the, at the top of the show. You, you kind of have that like, there's there's more optimism. <laughs> yeah, we get to look at it with the idea of, oh, I, I need to understand these because we're going to be playing some, you know, yeah. real high level competitive magic for tens of thousands I'm, of dollars i'm hoping to be playing or doing commentary for them so like let, let's hope it's one if not both um yeah I'm, I'm super excited for this set all of it looks really cool i love the art so far as well i know you're not big into it but for me it looks pretty great so hope everybody, everybody at home is enjoying it as well and hoping they enjoy uh this episode and the spoilers in this one because get ready for spoilers that's probably going to be all we're going to be going over next week unless you know some kind of announcement or something happens so we'll see but uh, I think that's going to do it for this week. You know what you're going to be in for for next week. So I'm super excited to get to that episode and ready to really sink my teeth into this set and see what's going on. I can't wait to see the, uh, can we start seeing the uncommons, like a few more of the like build around me cards and see where we're really going here. And we'll yeah, work that usually, you know, those benchmark uncommons are where you're at the limited format really takes shape in these days. So Yeah, you, I want to see, you know, how many cards have convened. You know, I want to see the 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 new keywords because yeah. like generally one of them is good enough to, to make a deck right you know like to do something so i, w- I want to see that so looking forward to that ross if people want to hear more of your rants about anything where would they go uh you can go to my twitter account i am at ross hunnids uh you know with the nba regular season winding down in the next week and the playoffs starting next weekend uh i think uh sports insanity ross is going to be in full force so you're going to get a little bit more of that in the coming weeks, but there's definitely going to be some magic there because the my stream will be coming back uh, quite soon. Um, so that's the best place to follow me and a good place to also just ask me questions about things. I try to get back to people as much as possible. Uh, and then if you want to throw me a follow on Twitch now so that you get a notification when the stream does come back, I am Ross underscore Miriam. That's my name there on Twitch. So uh, appreciate any and all support in those avenues. Tannen, if people want to, you know, follow along with the the attempted the title defense of the Atlanta Braves, which is I'm sure going to be the focus of your Twitter for the next eight months. Yeah, it's going to be a, there's going to be a lot of baseball stuff on there. Uh, you'll see some flesh and blood, and you'll see you'll see way more magic than you have in the past. So make sure you're checking that out. That's at the Tannen Grace. Uh, make sure you follow the cast as well. MTG Rants. We're going to be uh tweeting a little bit about you know our new sponsor and stuff quite a bit make sure everybody out there hears about it uh so be looking out for that make sure if you're going to check it out make sure you use that code that we've been using to get yourself a chance to use that or get, get yourself a chance to get that mark pool signed art and some good cups of coffee on top of it but thanks for listening this week we can't wait to come back next week and share some more of these spoilers with you but until then see ya <laughs>